Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and this is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us today where we are speaking with Daniel Kemp, who is a distributor of New Zealand wines and importer of international wines here in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Daniel moved into this after being a successful restaurateur in Taupo, central North Island of New Zealand. If you'd like to check out more about what Daniel's currently doing, you can go to greatlittlevineyards.com. But right now, let's go have a chat with Daniel. So Daniel, nice hey. to have you here. How are you? I'm well, how are you? Good, thank you very much. Good, good to be here with you. Yeah, very good. And so where did, where did your journey, you're, um, you're, you're selling wine at the moment and doing That's a bit correct. of importing, but where did your journey start into, into wine? Uh, probably the very, if you go back to the very beginning where I first um, had uh, an influence in the wine industry would be um, on our farm in Manatuki. I was born uh, in Manatuki, Gisborne, actually right next to the very plot right next to where James and Annie Milton live, actually. Right, okay, on the so East Cape I, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah um, so it's a beautiful spot right by the Tiarai River there. And uh, we, we were contract grape growers, and, and in fact, my family were the first uh, contract grape growers out of Poverty Bay, so there's a little bit of history there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Frank Yukovich in the early days used to drive uh, drive down to Gisborne in his truck, pick up the grapes and take them back to Auckland and make the wine, so uh, there's quite a bit of history there. But I remember, you know, the vintage harvest and that sort of thing and being really exciting and Dad used to owe us, overpay us to prune the grapes and pick grapes and that sort of thing to yeah. try and get us into uh, business and making money and understanding money and all that sort of thing. So how, so how old can you remember? How old you were when you first started? I must have been very young. I'm I'm thinking five or six oh, when I great. first just remember. What you know, I remember eating grapes and loved them, and it's very vague. But probably not till I was sort of uh, seven, eight, nine. And I remember I used to get very excited when it was harvest time and picking the grapes. And I remember the old beautiful grape bins. I still think they should be uh, – some, in some parts of the country, they still do it that way, the old traditional way. And uh, it's lovely to see some of our vineyards, actually, and some of the more uh, smaller vineyards that are still picking grapes that way, obviously not harvesting with harvesters and that mm. sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, those are good memories. Yeah, they are really yeah. good memories. I, I still dream of those days, actually. And, uh, you know, and then from there, I actually travelled and uh, we, I, I played rugby for a little while um, overseas uh, for, for a job. And um, actually, Ian Kirkpatrick was my uh, rugby coach. I played for Natepa in those days, and right, okay. I was probably his biggest disappointment in the <laughs> end. But I was a little small, and in the end, I just got tired of the big hits. But uh, um, <laughs> when I was travelling, I went to uh, South Africa and uh, spent two. Ended up spending two years there. I did play rugby there as well, but um, in the end, I just stopped playing and and just travelled and went to Stellenbosch and, and Cape Town and fell in love with that area and. Some of the chateaus are hundreds of years old, just like Bordeaux. Mm. And I think that was the, the final blow for me to really get into wine. Um, right. What, and what, what sort of varietals do you get there? 
Uh, there's a lot of pinotage and that mm. sort of thing, Syrah, mm. you know. They do lots of Cabernet, and, but mainly pinotage in those days. They've really evolved now, quite a bit of Chenin Blanc. Yeah, I think they're a bit like New Zealand. They, they really haven't quite been recognised um, for some of the quality coming out of there, but there also was some pretty average wine, just like New Zealand. So mm. I think overall, you know... Um, They've come a long way, but there's still plenty of room for improvement, just like New Zealand. Well, you're just starting to see it a bit more, aren't you, in the on the shelves in New Zealand? Oh, right? fully, yeah. fully. It's um, and it's it's an exciting time. Um, I think from from that point on, uh, when I came back from overseas, I actually uh, uh, came to went to Taupo. My parents were there, and I was actually very sick at the time. Actually. Um, it's quite a story, this one, because uh, I was in Malawi just before I left, and I started feeling quite unwell, and um, I started um, get, having these weird delusional dreams and and things, and my health insurance was running out, so I thought I'd better get on a plane and go home, and I decided to stop off on at Hawaii on the way home, and uh, basically I was so sick on the plane like they thought I was on drugs or something I was literally delusional and sweating and it was awful um, got back to New Zealand and it was mum and dad's uh, 50th wedding anniversary um, and mum just looked at me and went oh my god what is wrong with you um, right <laughs> yeah, and my eyes were black and, and, you know, she took me straight to the GP and the GP said, oh, don't worry, you probably just picked up some little thing, we'll give you some antibiotics. And mum said, no, I don't think so, mate. I think he's a bit sicker than that. Mm. He's been in Africa. And he said, oh, we'll just take these and see what happens. And um, by one in the morning, I, my eyes had shut black. My I, my body had swollen up, like, you know, and... I was rushed into hospital and um, anyway, cut a long story short, I, um, they they couldn't diagnose me. So um, I was basically getting worse. I was under a respirator at that point and struggling to breathe. And um, the, 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 the mum and dad were basically told they, were, they could do nothing and I was going to die. Wow. Yeah, it was a pretty scary time for them. Mm. And the thing that actually saved my life was there was a... Um, tropical diseases expert um, in Queenstown on holiday. They flew him down and he diagnosed me um, and with Bilharzia, but a severe, it's a bit like um, malaria, you can get really severe cases. And, right. yep. uh, they flew the drugs over from South Africa on a private jet and right. they, they basically saved my life. So um, yeah, it's a crazy story. Yeah. And, uh, wow. The thing is, it took me five years to recover, though, because uh, they had to put me on steroids, and I lost so much weight that, um, uh, you know, basically I thought I was invincible um, and started running again, and, you know, this is easy. And then as soon as they took me off the steroids, I hit the wall, you know, Mm -hmm. hard, you know, and sort of like for five years it was like a drunk of bottle of vodka every night and I'd wake up with my eyes heavy and right. just feeling unwell wow. every day and then one day it was, it was just gone you know mm. and w- once it's gone it's gone for good and so the rest of your life is bloody easy really <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, five yeah. years is five years is quite a yeah. long slog. And is it um, uh, mosquito-borne disease like malaria? No, it's or? not. It's um, it, it's actually a little um, snail that lives in the shallow waters. And oh. is it Lake Malawian And actually, if you in the Lonely Planet, uh, it says that Bilhaz, the Lake Malaria is Bilhazia-free at the time. And there were three or four of us that got it, and actually a couple of them died. Uh, wow. for, uh, one went back, uh, two stayed. Uh, people that I were there with at the time, uh, there were two cases where people did, two people did actually die. Wow. And uh, there, there, were, there was a bit of talk about uh, whether we go after Lonely Planet and sue them, but no one ever did. But... Um, yeah, it's just a little snail that lives in the shallow waters, oh, and okay. so Nasty. you know we were all swimming in there, and yeah. then yeah, and I was. But um, anyway, after that, um, I bought a restaurant, which I was advised not to do because you know I had to take it easy for a few years, and that's just not my nature. So, so this is after the five years when you started feeling yeah, better. Uh, no, this I actually that started time. that before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even though I was advised not to. Um, well, you thought you'd go and do something easy, did you? Uh, <laughs> my na- yeah, exactly. My nature is, you know, I've got to keep moving and keep it, you know, as soon as I get bored, it's not good for me. So I like to be positive and stay active. Um, so I did buy this restaurant. To be fair, I probably had bitten a bit more than I could chew at first. Um, but it was good for me, I think, just to get out of home and get into something that I was passionate about. And actually, when I was in Africa, I got into food over there. I like culture of the food over there. Pretty laid back, uh, very relaxed sort of environment, working with fresh and seasonal ingredients, a bit like we do, but uh, a little bit more edgy over there. And I I bought this place um, on a waterfront. Um, I'd saved pretty hard when I was younger, and I think I had something like 40,000 in the bank account or something so I went and bought this place and went in with a friend old friend of mine from Gisborne we went 50-50 and uh and uh yeah it was it was called Truffles at the time and um we just I I made came up with the call we wanted to call it the batch um and we took the roof off and at the time, uh, wood-fired pizza ovens, a few were coming in for Italy, so mm-hmm. we imported one from Italy and uh, got a crane and put it through the roof and started making these amazing wood-fired pizzas. We were the first in the whole of that area of New Zealand to ever get involved in that. And So when was this? This would be uh, in the uh, early 90s, yeah. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so got got stuck into that, and um, obviously started my wine list, and it started off small. Um, I probably had sort of you know thirty or forty wines wines on at first, but they were well thought about wines. At that point, my knowledge was was limited, um, but uh it grew pretty rapidly because i had scenic cellars up the road there which was the greatest wine shop in australasia at the time and and sort of peter taylor became my mentor and uh he was a very generous man and he used to open up great wines for me frequently um and when i mean great wines i mean first growth bordeaux you know the likes of mouton rothschilds margot and 
you know. Wow. And so I was very spoiled and um, started getting into it myself. And the batch started getting a bit of a reputation. It grew and we stopped. In the end, I bought Matt out, my business partner, and then started going a bit more fine dining. Um, even though it was very relaxed, it was still really serious food. We always had serious chefs and... Uh, the wine list grew, and then uh, I got um, uh, a friend of mine in the kitchen, uh, Greg Feck, who he happens to have two, has uh, done incredibly well in Melbourne now. He's got two hugely successful um, restaurants over there. Um, I think it's called, uh, the, uh, no, Apple, no, Apple Tree, no, Something like that. Mm-hmm. Sorry that he'd shoot me for not remembering it. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it was it was a good time for me. We, we ended up winning uh, the the national cu- cuisine award and the restaurant wow. awards, and um, we had all these Aucklanders and Wellingtonians flocking in to see us. And and at that point, um, I had. Probably the most insane wine list in the country, something like 500 wines on my list. And uh, even Hooker Lodge used to call me and send a cab around to pick up, you know, wines for my wine list. I had old great vintages of Petrus and. So that's, first, a, that's a big investment for a, a restaurant. Oh, yeah, it was insanity. Going, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I could have been driving a nice car or. It just wasn't anything I was into. It was all about wine for me and yeah. the experience, and, and it was a good time in my life. It, it was um, it was really really hard work, and I burnt myself out a couple of times. But uh, it was it was a good learning curve for me in business as well. Right. Yep. Yep. And so that was good then being able to pick up pick up some of those awards. Yeah, that was an exciting thing because. Um, that was a funny story, actually. I rung, rung Lorraine um, uh, when we, we went in it the year before and didn't get anywhere, and I was like, oh, you know, that was disappointing. I thought we were right up there because I was travelling to Auckland and, you know, I, I just wanted some feedback. And she said, well, actually, no one came to see you. I was like, but what do you mean? And she said, no, no one came to see you. They just go by word of mouth. We can't see everybody, and... I was pretty upset with that for obvious reasons. I was like, that's a little unfair. And uh, I, I was, you know, pretty annoyed and wasn't going to go in it the next year, but luckily I did. I thought, oh, you know, oh, well. So I gave Lorraine a call and said, I hope you're going to come back and see us this year. And mm-hmm. they all came down one by one, Ray McVinney, and um, actually was a good friend of mine. Who's a good friend now? And Natalia from the engine room, where she was a judge at the time, and she was with her husband and Carl de Front. They were the first judges that came in, and you know, they're not supposed to say anything. But as Carl was walking out, he runs up to me and he goes, "Bro, that was awesome, man!" <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think having such a good and extensive wine list helped as well with the whole? whole oh yeah, fully. Yeah. I I still don't think people have quite. Uh, understood the concept of having a really serious wine list. It's, uh, the thing is, it's a money thing, obviously. There's a lot of money involved in it. You know, you can, and I probably took it to the extreme, but uh, a lot of restaurants in New Zealand, you know, focus so much on the food, they forget about the wine and they have okay wine lists, but 
there's no real international wine lists in New Zealand. I mean, with you know multiple vintages of some of the greatest wines on the planet, that sort of thing. And yes, it is a big investment, but I'm really surprised that no one's really got stuck into it. And I'm I'm not talking about current vintages. I'm talking about great old vintages. Mm. That sort of thing. So ha- ha- having something in the cellar. And, you know, it's a good point you make about uh, not just having uh, one year of a varietal, but going, well, if you're yeah. like this, we've got this, you know, and it might be at different price levels as you, exactly. as you go back, but you've, you've, you've got the choice and, and the option. Now, maybe it's um, where New Zealand dining is heading, you know, it's where it can go next, because it's all about maturity and growth and, yeah, it is. and, yeah. and, and having the ability to invest yeah, yeah not, and not that's be so right. Hand to, hand to, hand There's to a lot of money involved, you're right, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, you know, yeah. It's funny. I've probably carried that philosophy into my into my new business, which we will talk about later. But you know, it's not something um, I hold back on myself personally. I'm always looking to, you know, find those wines that other people don't have or would like to get that can't. You know. Um, so and some of those great old wines that were made in the great old vintages you know just having the ability to access those wines and give people the opportunity to drink them to me excites me you know Mm. 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 yeah 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 and I think um, and even generally it's not that easy to find aged wines in New Zealand if you wanted to buy them for personal drinking yeah, well, auctions are not opportunity there, yes. but you've got to be very careful. I mean, I used to buy quite a bit of wine from auction, but, you know, it's a lottery. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, most Kiwis um, will, will buy great wine and then stick it in their cupboard or something, and it gets hot in the summer, and a lot of them are uh, completely stuffed by the time mm. they hit the secondary market or become available, and... Uh, so you've got to take that into mind, but you know, you can still have a lot of fun with the auction market and try try a few mm. that aren't maybe too expensive, not yep. the real top end stuff. Yeah, better to buy off you know professionals or uh, you know out of professional sellers. Yeah, mm. Mm. no, that's right. Yeah, I mean there are you certainly can access some through the market, but as you say, you don't really know the provenance of no you, how they've been stored, how many times they've been moved, and. Yeah, well, that's why, and that's the exciting thing for me. A lot of my buyers have great sellers, and quite often, not that often, but sometimes they uh, make their wines available to me. So, and then I'll just, you know, get them into some of my other clients who are looking for that sort of thing. And so everybody wins. Mm, yeah, mm, mm. works well. Mm. No, good, good. Yeah. And uh, so, when did uh, the batch finish up for you? Uh, crikey, that would be, uh, what is it, that would be beginning of, so maybe 2002, around there. Yep. Uh, 2002, 2003, I'm terrible with years. And what, uh, what prompted that? Time time um, for something new? Yeah, yeah, I was, well, actually I got headhunted by Sminovages in Auckland, um, and they wanted me to open up this restaurant and... I said I can't, you know, I was already committed to what I was doing in Taupo and didn't really want to leave Taupo, to be fair. I was a keen fly fisherman and and uh, loved, loved the area, but no, it was time for me to move on. And uh, actually, 
the lease was running out um, and uh, at my restaurant and uh, basically my landlord was looking to develop the property and you know, it was already a very high rent uh, for the time it was I think around sort of 80,000 a year and he's looking to double it so it was just impossible to maintain that um, so the writing was on the wall, wall really sad mm. but it was very emotional for me actually but uh, the Saminovages wanted me desperately to take on this project so um, I ended up agreeing to it and uh, we set up this restaurant out of Bombay called Braku. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, so so Bombay, south, southern, southern edge of Auckland there. Yeah, mm. yeah, so I, I, we got uh, Peter over, Peter Thornley to come and do the food and um, I... I got in touch with a lot of really cool people, uh, professionals that I've worked with in the industry and got a really amazing restaurant manager and put the whole project together and, as you can imagine, designed a wine cellar uh, with uh, Rhea Gleeson, um, who is a good friend as well, uh, and stocked the cellar. It was insane. You know, I could, I basically could do what I want, you know, they gave me an open checkbook, very trusting, and um, I ended up putting together an incredible wine cellar. You could dine in there, you know, it was... Mm. Mm. It's a lovely spot. Yeah, it's pretty cool, yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, good. And so how long were you working on that project? Uh, my contract was for 10 months, and uh, yeah, um, it was a bit awkward when I left because uh, they sort of didn't... They, I don't think they sort of thought I was ever going to leave, and... But, you know, I had already had my, on my mind what I wanted to do, you mm. know, set up this company that I've set up now. And uh, it was it was hard for me to leave, but, you know, once I made up my mind, that's what I... And uh, I ended up... It was a bit awkward at first, but I ended up helping them out for quite a while by consulting. And, um, yeah, it was... But it was a good time out there. Mm. Mm. No, it's still a lovely spot to go. It is, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, Ivan and Brunka. Unfortunately, uh, Brunka passed away mm. a few years ago, but um, I believe Ivan's still going strong and all those beautiful olive trees out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Very good. And so then so then you went and started um, pretty much the, the venture you're involved with, with now then? Yeah, yeah. I started up the distribution company. I actually, to be fair, I started a little earlier, but it was a bit different. When I was at the batch, I started uh, importing some wines and buying, you know, um, great wines that I uh, really appreciated at the time. Wines from people like Larry McKenna and... Um, Dry River Wines and so, and so I'd so sell just, them. Just going back to that, what, what would... Yeah, you know, just generally, what would your mix have been of imported international versus New Zealand back then when you're at, 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 at the batch? Probably 50 50. Okay. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. looking at Hinchkey, like things like that, Hell of Grace. And um, although there was distributors at the time, you know, I could access wine through certain channels back then. Things mm. were a bit different. And um, I was bringing in some good Italian stuff and a bit of Bordeaux as well. And but I guess I was moving a lot more New Zealand wine at the time, thinking about it. Uh, but when so already the drinking public was more open to New Zealand or 
more yeah you know, I, I would say so yeah um so but, but you had to do a bit more education i probably didn't have the still didn't have the full expertise the understanding of border and burgundy and italy and spain and that sort of thing back then that i did once i started really drinking a lot more of those wines and um understanding what they truly were about uh, so w- once i kind of had that knowledge um, I took it to another level and these you know once we set up the company which is a bit different because um, my first three signings were great signings and they were complete all of them were completely unknown at the time uh, Prairie Hills out at Clevedon um, sorry this and this is signings for your yeah the, my new company, new company so yeah so at, at this point, I wasn't an exclusive distributor, so um, I was only just buying wines and, you know, reselling them with bottle age, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So once I decided to set up Kemp Wine, it was called um, Kemp Rare Wines, and then I didn't like that in the end because it sounded a bit pretentious, and it didn't s- sort of suit where we're, where I wanted to take the company, so caught it uh, Kemp Wine Merchants um, I like to you know I'm proud of my family name come from you know the James Kemp line down in Kerry Kerry he was my great 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 grandfather so you know I'm proud of that name and, and wanted to keep it going so um, yeah and, and uh, yeah so my, my first signing was Prairie Hills I made that connection when I was out at Clevedon because of Braku and I went there a few times and she showed me these wines and, and I remember it was the 05 vintage at the time and I was like oh my god Judy do you know what you have here these wines are truly world class and at the time she was hardly selling anything in New Zealand that was unbelievable she told me the amount of cases she was selling a month and I just about fell off my chair, you know. It's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to give me, you know, one year and we'll see what we can do. Um, And I decided they were on the 04 vintage at the time, which were great wines, but they were very tight. The 05 was a great vintage. I said, look, we're going to have to make a bit of a bang here. So I... um, convinced her to hold the 04s and uh, release the 05s um, and um, I got samples out to Bob Campbell and Michael Cooper and we got phenomenal reviews back and uh, and um, we, I mean I think we sold out of the 05 vintage in like something like three or four months it was unbelievable you know and I then went. Uh, I started searching around, and I went up south, down south, I should say, and um, I was around, hanging around North Canterbury and Whitepra there, and um, I was staying at Peg Bay, and um, I think I, I was. Uh, I, I was, had a big night with Matt one night. It's, he's famous for his big nights, and <laughs> I don't remember much of it apart from asking him. That night, was there anybody out there around this area that you thought that was a bit out there, you know, and a bit special and worth a visit? And he, he said, ah, um, oh, there's these guys, Pyramid Valley, you know, you should check them out. And they're definitely out there with a grin on his face. And um, anyway, I went up to the 
uh, wine, there's a wine shop there in, in a sort of junction area and it's quite a good wine shop and I went in there and I said, have you got any Pyramid Valley wines? And they said, yeah, there's a couple on the shelf and um, so I went in there, bought them and tried them and I was like jumping out of my skin with excitement. They mm. really were amazing. Mm. So I left a long-winded uh, Dan Kemp message on the phone I didn't hear back for like three weeks, which we all laugh about now because that's normal for Mike and Claudia. Uh, but And then I got this message back, hey, Dan, sorry it's been a while, but we'd love to meet you and work with you, so let's do it, you know. And crikey, um, you know, that was a long time ago, but Pyramid has just sold for some huge amount of money bought by a multi-billion year Texan oil man I mm. know oh, actually I think he's an IT man to be honest whatever um, and um, it's been an amazing journey Pyramid Valley has just been uh, a, ma a magnificent journey for me um, they're great friends and some of the greatest wines I think I've ever drank in my life um, so that was my other signing and then when I was in the area I ended up uh finding out about Bill Hill as well and I ended up working with those guys for a little while as well but uh, yeah that sort of came to an end they wanted to um, they they didn't like they didn't want to sell through any retail shop so it was only trade and we sort of went different ways in the end um, uh, but their wines are magnificent as well where and where are they they're, they're just up the road from uh, Pyramid Valley actually okay. Yeah, yeah, probably for me personally, uh, some of the two most exciting vineyards and cutting edge vineyards in New Zealand for sure, and that's only my opinion. But and so, where are we talking? Uh, we're talking North Canterbury. North Canterbury. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So inland there, or uh, that sort of old Wicker Pass area, beautiful country, you know. And often I've talked with Mike at Pyramid Valley, and he's saying so. And I agree with them. A lot of the greatest sites have never been found in New Zealand yet. I think in another, you know, 10, 15 years, um, there will uh, be uh, a lot more hillside sites in some of these areas mm -hmm. and potentially some of the greatest sites ever found, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's a gold mine of out there really. And I think, yes, we've got the region, Central Otago and... Marlborough and that sort of thing, but it's exciting to know that, you know, all these undiscovered areas and more hillside sites and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at Bill Hill, it's literally, it's so steep and it's it's literally, um, um, uh, it's, what do you call it, uh, limestone quarry, so... It's just extraordinary. I don't, and I remember talking to Marcel and Sharon when I worked with them in the early. I don't know. You see them on their knees on these steep, uh, steep slopes, you know, working the vines and that sort of thing. It's quite extraordinary. It mm. is, mm. Mm. and it, it, it sh uh, shows you that uh, what can be done. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, so those were some of the early signings, mm. and you've gone on from there, obviously, and. Yeah, well, you you interviewed the Herzogs recently. Mm -hmm. so, uh, a huge respect for Hans and Therese. Uh, I mean, I'd, I've never, ever seen a dodgy wine come out of that place. It's world-class, every single one of them. And mm -hmm. the, uh, I'm very spoiled. I'm working, you know. And then I've got all these, you know, 
because Grant Taylor as well from Valley, all these pioneers. Um, he's a great character. And uh, then I've got all these new other cutting-edge vineyards in New Zealand. Um, I, I'll start naming them all in case I miss out a few. <laughs> yeah, but sure. No, no, and then, yeah, and then obviously then doing some, from, yeah, well, some yeah. from Australia. Well, and my, the two vineyards that I had an obsession with, we're, we're weighed very heavily. I'm a big believer in the organic biodynamic movement and to a degree the natural movement, though, yeah, I'm still a little bit sceptical. Not that I don't think it's a great movement, I just think that there's a lot of average wine coming out, um, uh, you know, and uh, but, you know, that will improve, so it's a good thing. I have seen some magnificent nat- natural wines, and in fact, Pyramid Valley were doing that, you know, six, seven years before anyone else, you know, and uh, so I've, I've, um, I've been a massive supporter of it for years and years and years, but... Uh, yeah, in Australia, the two vineyards that stuck out for me were uh, Castagna, Julian Castagna, out of Beechworth, and um, uh, Vanya Cullen uh, in Margaret River. So I've got both of those on my portfolio mm. uh, out of that area, and more recently, Ventilopa, which wines, which I find really exciting as well. And then, where and where are they from? Uh, they they are around that Beechworth area as well. So. Yeah, and then um, Australia, just for our listeners. And then uh, uh, from around the world, you know, we actually got quite a few wines coming out of Germany now. Maya Nika, their wines are specialised in Pinot, believe it or not, but um, they do this wine called the Illusion, which is a white Pinot, which just blows my mind. It's so amazing, and uh, so we're also bringing in uh, Tisch from Germany now, and. Our most recent signing from Journey, uh, Germany is called Von Winning. Uh, it's one of the oldest estates on the Mosul River. It's literally hundreds of years old. And uh, yeah, it's, um, their wines are... I, I, I just wouldn't agree to import any more German Rieslings. It's not an easy thing to do. And I've had friends try to do it in the past, bring in great German wines and it hasn't worked and so I was very nervous about it but it's been unbelievably popular mm-hmm. and uh, I mean uh, we were lucky enough with our recent signing with Von Winning the winemaker came over and did some work with us in the market and we sold it all out in two days it was now these are top wines the top the top reasons like $200 a bottle so and uh, it's as scarce as hell apparently you just don't get allocated any so popular, but because we're a new signing, you know, that was the deal. We were allowed to get hold of some, so um, they stack up too. They're quite extraordinary. Mm. And then out of Italy, we just bring in Kai Rossa. Uh, they're the sort of next um, most exciting Tuscan, super Tuscan. Um, uh, Kai Rossa, they're wow, their wines are extraordinary and biodynamic as well. And so when you say Super Tuscan Bordeaux blend style, is that Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, uh, Sanchevese, uh, they do do a Sanchevese, but right. generally, um, you know, Cabernet. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and then um, out of uh, Rhone, we're just bringing in a wine, 
uh, that's really exciting as well called Chien Bleu, another biodynamic vineyard. So they're Syrah Grenache blends. Um, but again, both Kairosa and Chien Bleu are like mega new superstars, you know. Um, and uh, both of them, we've had huge success. Uh, Chien Bleu hasn't even arrived yet and 90% of it's sold already. And Kairosa pretty much is all sold out as well. These are really top-end wines, so um, it shows you, you know, if you're prepared, prepared to take that gamble and back yourself, you know, can do well. Mm. Uh, of course, we're importing uh, wines out of Spain too, um, all over the world. We were bringing these wines from Spain, um, the girl family and uh, their range, and they retail for around $25. Most of them are organic. And amazing packaging. and I, I can honestly put my heart on, in my hand on my heart and say, I personally haven't drank wines in this country at, of that calibre at that price point ever. Wow. And uh, we've seen that in the uptake of these wines. We only get allocated. I mean, they're not expensive wines, so we might get 100 cases or something like that of the whole lot. There's about six or seven in the range. And again, they sold out within two, three weeks. And we just bought in the second shipment. And we, we, we're trying to hold back on them now because they've just been so popular. Yeah. 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 Find, you know, and that's the scary thing for me that, you know, to make wine at that price point of that caliber and you compare it to some of the stuff in New Zealand, you do start scratching your head and going, shit, this, you know, this is a little bit dangerous for the industry but um my answer to that is always we need to focus on real quality and yeah, not, yeah. not try to compete with no well yeah. I mean, in new zealand's proven that it can make good oh, quality 100%. wine so so yeah bit of a bit of a challenge but yeah that, that's what that's just what happens in the marketplace in a global marketplace isn't it you gotta uh, keep you gotta keep innovating and keep keep getting better keep improving oh fully and you know i've just been over to china recently been there three or four times now and people are starting to demand quality they're getting tired of you know the same old there's so many people chasing the same you know market you know those i don't know sort of 15 to 20 dollar bracket maybe even lower you know and the likes of supermarkets and that sort of thing all around the world but uh it's it's hard to make a quality wine under 10 dollars it really is and especially in New Zealand, without cutting some serious corners. And, you know, it's not, it's not fair on the growers, you know, it's, and the, the winemakers and the owners of the estate. So they need to band together a bit more and focus on making New Zealand the prim, one of the most premium, uh, you know, wine destinations on the planet because it so can be done, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And is there anything that you're seeing starting to happen in New Zealand? Any any varietals that have particularly excited you? Oh, when you're working with someone like Hans Herzog, you just about see it's so exciting. I mean, I think I I thought it was up to 28 varieties at one point, and mm. um, I think Trey said the other day it might be 23 or 24 now. But um, you know, when you're working with guys like this, it's you know. Um, Monte Pucciano, you know, Arnes, Nebbiolo, you know, Tempranillo, you name it, it's um, very exciting. And uh, 
it's um, it's starting to happen more and more now. I'm always saying I had a meeting with Rock Ferry the other day, and they're doing a Tempranillo as well, and and a Nebbiolo, and I said keep going, you know. Uh, they, they've got a lot of Sauvignon Blanc planted, and uh, you know that concerns me a little bit. You know, I think we've had way too much focus on Sauvignon Blanc for too long. And to be fair, the other popular grape varieties, I mean, I'm a Chardonnay fan when it's right. I'm not into those big sort of oak-driven Chardonnays. I, I drink a lot of Burgundy, so, um, you know, but if we can take that focus off some of those, you know, we're always going to be uh, having Pinot here because it grows well and I think it's good for New Zealand but some of these other exciting varieties that are floating around I'd like to see people work with Sanchevese more in New Zealand I know Heron, David does it here in flight, he does a great Sanchevese but um, you know there's so many opportunities out there right now in Australia David's um, one of the most exciting wines we bring in is called Tariga Nacional and um, you know it's a stunning wine you know it's it's sort of like a cross between a um, like a maybe a, a, a lighter style southern Rhone wine too and maybe a Zinvindel or something like that but um, really exciting to see these varieties and uh it's what keeps me alive in the industry as well. Mm. Seeing what mm. people are doing. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And we finish on a question, yeah. uh, which is if you could have any glass of wine with any person, either living, dead, or uh, maybe they haven't even come along yet, what, yeah. who would it be and uh, and what would you like to drink with them? Yeah, I'm pleased you pre-warned me about that one. Um, we talked about that before we... We started the interview. Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and um, I thought about a few people, and but no, there's only one in the end that really stuck in my mind, and it was my old friend Martin Crow, um, who passed away not that long ago. He was one of my best friends, and um, New Zealand we, New Zealand cricketer. Yes, New Zealand cricketer. Yeah, uh, he, he was a great friend of mine, and uh, we shared a lot of bottles of wine over the years, and. I used to go out to his farm, uh, out past, out at the Kaimais out that way, and uh, I'd take Pippa out there, and he'd take his daughter Emma, and and uh, you know we'd go out there sort of every once a month or whatever, and spend a couple of nights out there and listen to Dire Straits, and you know, <laughs> and um, both our favourite song was uh, Tell It Well. Marty got me into Tell It. I always liked. Uh, dire Straits but Telegraph Road was always his favourite song and mm. uh, we used to drink way too much wine and you know be singing our guts out and well it's a long song you can you can oh, get a couple of glasses in to do that yeah and uh, <laughs> oh that's right and it's, actually his favourite wine was Providence out at Matacana one of my agencies and yeah um, I'd definitely have a bottle of I've still got a bottle under the bed I've got lots of Providence actually uh, under it's not really under the bed, but that's how what, that's my yeah favorite thing to say. And um, I would I, I, every time I open a Providence now, I think of Marty. So yeah, no, I'd definitely uh, he'd be the man. I'd have that glass of wine with. Yeah, mm, nice. So, mm. Yeah, very so. cool. 
Well, thanks, um, Daniel. Thanks for that. It's been oh, very no, good. It's been, been great fun. chatting yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah. likewise. Um, cool. It's all good. Yeah. Great, great. Oh, well, um, thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll catch up again shortly. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. We've been speaking with Daniel Kemp from Great Little Vineyard. You can find out more about them online at greatlittlevineyards.com. And also be sure to check out some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts where we're talking with others in the New Zealand wine industry. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. And we look forward to your company again shortly. Thanks for listening in. Hey, Kono mai. Bye for now.